Let me tell you a story. Podcast number 137. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Call me Ishmael. It was the age of wisdom. Some years ago. It was the age of Never mind it is a truth how long it was. You don't know about me without you. Welcome to Let Me Tell You a Story with your hosts, Steve and Becky Lyles. Settle back into your seat, step onto your favorite fitness machine or a lace of your walking shoes, and enjoy stories from a variety of genres and authors. Hi, this is Steve. Hi, this is Becky. Welcome to Let Me Tell You a Story. Our guest today, Doug Gamble, is the author of a children's book titled, What's in Your Howl? We know him as a seminary professor and want to talk with him not only about his book, but how he manages on the one hand, to teach adults, and on the other hand, to write books for children. Here's a bit more about Doug from his online bio. Doug Gamble grew up in the Nevada desert, where lots of coyotes roam and howl. He enjoys fishing, biking, riding his unicycle, and reading. For most of his life, and in many places in the world, he has been a teacher, introducing students to the beauty and wonder of good books. He and his wife, Laura, enjoy hiking and are always eager to try new trails. Welcome, Doug. Thank you very much. It's great to be here with you. Your book is titled, What's in Your Howl? Great title, by the way. I'll read a brief description and then ask our first question. Carlos and Alberto are so different. Carlos is a sleek, swift coyote, while... Alberto is a rough-skinned armadillo with short, stubby legs. Yet the beautiful desert is home to both. When Alberto hears a mysterious sound coming from the mesa, he is both frightened and curious. Carlos is howling! Alberto bravely asks Carlos, What's in your howl? And a friendship begins. These two learn to talk about and appreciate what's going on underneath all the coyote fur and armadillo armor. It's a story all of us need, perhaps our children most of all. So I'm intrigued, uh, and I want to know which came first, a desire to write a children's book, a desire to discuss differences, the title, or, as some authors explain inspiration, how did the story come to you? Huh. Great question. Thank you, Steve. Uh, I guess I have to come at that from two different directions. <clears throat> and let me give a disclaimer, because I'm going to say coyote, but coyote is fine, too. <laughs> I've got both going on in my family from Nevada, so that's fine. I'm not sure which is older or more country. I'm not sure. But, uh, uh, anyway, the, I've had a desire to write children's books for a long time. Uh, all the way back to um, Dr. Seuss and Blueberries for Sal and and The Biggest Bear. Those those <laughs> books left an imprint on me because they were both visual and I could he- I could still hear the words, especially when you talk about some of Dr. Seuss's rhymes and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And so I've had a desire and a, and a heart to write children's books for a long time, and I've been playing with it for a long time. I've got a dozen children's stories in my drawer someplace that are that'll come out hopefully mm-hmm. someday, but. Uh, but then the, the other thing was, is this howl is uh, where I grew up from my house when the sun was going down or if I was out traipsing around the mountains in the morning, I'd hear coyotes howl. And it is a 
it's a it's a curious, mysterious kind of thing, and uh, I've always been kind of struck by that. And somehow or another, uh, I sat down one day and I was just thinking about that, and I thought, you know, sometimes they're they're happy, and sometimes maybe they're sad or mad. I don't know what's in that howl, <laughs> and uh, and. And the story started to come to me. And I, I'm not sure where the armadillo came from. We didn't have any armadillos where I grew up. <laughs> but I do like that southwestern uh, setting with the squaro cactus and all that kind of stuff. And so somehow or another, those two things came together. And I realized, oh, there's a story here that might be able to uh, challenge our ideas about not only friendship, but communication and, and listening carefully to each other and hearing what's going on. So, Yeah, we lived in Phoenix for a while, and uh, we've seen cactus. Yeah, coyotes, uh, javelina. Is that? Oh what yeah, it is? javelinas. Yeah, yeah. jackrabbits. Yeah, oh, that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah, big jackrabbits. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so this is a two-part question: What age of children is your target audience? And did you test this story on real-life kids before you published it? Ooh. Uh, I'm, As not, opposed I'm, not, to... I'm not sure I like that question. That's a little threatening. But anyway, <laughs> so it's I, this is a you know I guess would guess from zero to six years old, something we're in there, maybe seven, and it's a kind of a, a story that I would think that parents would read to their kids, and then maybe for a while they, when they're able to, the kids would read it for themselves or read it to a little brother kind of thing. And um, I'm hoping it gets that kind of reception in families where I know the the good books that I've had for my kids when they were growing up. It didn't matter how many times you read them; they were always they would actually like it more because they kind of knew what was happening and they'd wait for it. And so that that's always fun, you know. And uh, and what was the second question? Uh, H and then sorry, <laughs> gotcha. Did you test your book on real oh, life kids? I I did not. I did not test it on real life kids. <laughs> I uh, I don't know whether that's foolishness or arrogance on my part, but um, I felt like I had a. A, a cute connection with what was going on and I've read enough children's stories and I've had my own kids and I've been a kid <laughs> so I took that as enough for me <laughs> not real life kids just kids acting like kids that's right, actors. That's right. Yes. So how do you switch hats from adult-level theological instruction to teaching children on their level? Ah, great question. Well, I think Becky mentioned that I do teach at a seminary, and I've taught in a lot of churches in different ways over the years, taught Bible and whatnot. And you know what? The Bible is full of parables, and these are parables. I feel like many or most of the children's books that I'm attracted to in some way or another are parables. They're stories that illustrate a point Sometimes real manifestly and obviously, and sometimes it's a little more subtle, or oftentimes there's numerous levels on which you can understand a story that work for adults as well as kids. And, uh, you know, I can remember watching Tom and Jerry and watching some of the cartoons and, and some of that humor and stuff was, I did I got it much later. And I thought, wow, that was there the whole time. And I never saw that. By young. So there, were, there was, you know, was an appeal all the way across the board that, that I think is true for children's stories, because I do think they have that kind of parabolic element to them so <laughs> you're right yeah i can think of uh, some although i'm not not thinking of which ones but dr seuss um 
you know, all the places you can go or whatever that was. That's um, he says it, but it, yeah, it's, it's kind of backdoor. Definitely, so, definitely, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's a good. That's a good. I like that phrase backdoor. That I think that. I don't know whether he used that word himself or not, but C.S. Lewis used the idea that, you know, his, the Chronicles of Narnia, he felt like were pre-Christian, I think he called them, that, mm. that when, when kids got older and started reading the Bible, that they would recognize echoes, characters, character traits from those books. And in fact, I mentioned this to somebody the other day, I, there's a line in one of them where uh, the, one of the kids, one of the Pevensies has to go back to the real world. And, and she asks, well, I don't want to go back because you won't be there, will you, Aslan? And Aslan says, oh, I'll be there, but you'll get to know me by a different name. Oh. Which is a really inter- kind of a nice connection right there for, for kids to think about. Well, what is his name here? And so I like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Good example. I'm also thinking of my favorite kid's book, <laughs> Llama Llama. Lost pajama or something like that. Something like that. Just because it has such wild illustrations. (laughs) We don't even have that one. We just give it to people. (laughs) Speaking of illustrations, um, the graphics in your book are just delightful. Mm-hmm. Two artists are listed, and I happen to know they don't live next door to each other. How did the two of them and the three of you combine your talents to produce such a beautiful book? Well, thanks. I That was one of the real blessings of the whole thing. I, I had this manuscript sitting around for a while, and the the struggle I've, I've always had that I don't really understand or I haven't had the patience or and perseverance to work through is I can write a story that needs illustrations, but I have no idea what to do with the illustrations. And then one day uh, at church, I realized that Steve Humpke was an artist. I, he actually did live down the street from me at where, when we were in Eagle. And uh, I went over there one day and I talked to him about his background. And he had done some sets for like the Christmas scenes at church and things like that, right? And uh, so and I learned that he had been with Disney for many years. So I just said, well... Here goes nothing. I said, Steve, I've got a story here. Would you be interested in, in illustrating it? And bless his heart, he was he was all in. And uh, and we began to sort of think through some things. And I had some ideas for some of the pages. And then he had some ideas from other ones. And then, and then he said, but you know, I know somebody who can help us a lot with this. And, she, and he mentioned Terry. He had known Terry <laughs> when Terry was in Idaho. And so uh, we did things remotely because Terry now lives in Florida. But then there were probably four or five occasions when we were all in town at the same time, which was kind of unique. And we sat around uh, Steve's kitchen table and he'd put out tentative drawings and we'd say, this this works, this doesn't. And we'd fit text to it. And we just kind of put the whole thing together as a puzzle. And, and uh-huh. Terry was really sharp. She could see where we were going off track and says, no, 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 we're, or, or we're, we're being too rep- repetitious about this. And Steve and I would both say, oh, you're right. And then, and then Terry was magic with the computer program that provided the coloration to the illustration. Mm-hmm. Steve's were black and white and, the, and she did the coloration. So it was a genuine wow. team effort wow. that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, a lot of what they were doing was over my head, but that was okay. So it was, I just <laughs> let them, you know, I, was, I had no option, but to let them do what they knew how to do. And it worked out well. So 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah, well, we know them both. Um, Steve, of course, Steve, uh, his name is Steve, so how can that be? <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> but yeah, they are both great. I've worked with both. Yeah. Steve's actually a little anecdote about Steve. He, he speaks Japanese quite well because oh. he was mm -hmm. one of the key organizers in what I think the department was called Disney Imagineering that made Tokyo Disneyland. And he he spent long he spent a long time in, in in working in construction and design and artwork on a grand scale in Tokyo. So huh. you would never know, but he's just yeah. <laughs> What's in your howl is 36 pages. Is it a good book for bedtime stories? Or should it be read more for educational purposes than for entertainment? Oh, I would, I envision it more as a bedtime story. But like all good, uh, as I referred to earlier, parables, I think it opens avenues of communication. And I really think that's one of the central themes of the story is, you know, this this little armadillo, he's scared, and but he hears this howl and he, He's curious about it. And so he gets up the gumption to ask Carlos, What's what does this mean? You know? And Carl and almost half the book is Carlos explaining what's in his howl. But then during that process, Carlos realizes that he doesn't really know much about this little armadillo. And they both handle life so differently. Carlos is brash and loud and howls. And and Alberto, the armadillo, when he's got stress in his life or when he's even when he's happy he rolls up in a little ball and closes off well those are two pretty human responses to things right <laughs> yes. and uh, and so i realized that this it, this the story as it is provides space for uh, a child to talk to his mother or father about something that maybe they want to withdraw over or something they want to howl about or have howled about and to explain what's in it Sometimes it's a good thing, sometimes it's a sad thing, sometimes it's stress, sometimes it's happiness, but it, it kind of opens a, opens up a space to be able to communicate those things. So, Sounds good. Yeah. What kind of feedback are you receiving from your readers? Oh, it's mostly been fun. Honestly, with, the, with where I... With my personal demographic, I'm selling to grandparents right now. <laughs> so, so that's where most of those are coming from. But they're, they're, they're reading to their grandkids and are really enjoying it. And sometimes they say, oh, I got to get a copy for all my grandkids. And some of these families are so big. That's great because I got to buy other copies. But, but, the, uh, but I did, I think I was sharing with you earlier, I got a video sent by a parent to me here not long ago. It was grandparent. And, and uh, showed their, mm, I think he was about three uh, grandson. And he obviously knew the book. Because he walked to a little table, she had a video, put it on the table and, and flipped very purposefully to a certain page, pointed to Carlos the Coyote, and then lifted his head up and just howled like a coyote. <laughs> it was so funny. So there's a lot of, there's, I guess it gets interactive too. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But pretty soon we'll have you read a bit from your book. But first, I'm curious about your unicycle riding and would love to know how that hobby started. <laughs> okay, so you have to know that I am, uh, I have two older brothers, who well, one recently passed away, but one of them was 13 years older than I am. One is 10 years older than I am. Both very accomplished intellectually and athletically. And then comes Doug the tag along. 
I had to do something to set myself apart. So uh, growing up in Carson City, Nevada, I just decided riding unicycle sounds pretty cool. I hadn't known anybody else in town who did it. So I got my hands on a unicycle and taught myself to do it. If for nothing, no other reason than nobody else in my family could do it. Um, so it just kind of became a thing. And then years later, my daughter... When uh, she, there was one year when we were doing school, we were living down in Central America and working in schools down there, where we decided for various reasons to do one year of homeschooling with her. So I was in charge of uh, teaching English and PE. That was my, those were my departments oh. of the homeschooling year. And so PE, I thought, oh, I'll teach her to ride a unicycle. She'll enjoy it for the rest of her life. So we bought her a little kid's unicycle, and she learned in about four days. And what, what am I going to do for PE the rest of the year? <laughs> but at least we, we had a good time uh, learning to ride unicycles. And it became part of my relationship with her. In fact, she got married a, a year and a half ago, and we rode unicycles. That I escorted her via unicycle down the aisle. Uh-huh. She, she's really good at it. She pulled up her wedding dress and got on that unicycle, and I got on beside her, and we held hands and pedaled down the oh, aisle. Oh, and, oh. And it was, we got some good pictures of that. Oh, so. That's great. Oh. So that was fun. Yeah. Well, there's a good balance in, in more than one way. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it's been fun. So, yeah. Our son had a unicycle, and... Uh, and he wrote it. I, I just don't know how. I can't even get on a skateboard without falling. So, uh, kudos it, to you. I can't confess that it's a little bit like a bicycle. I mean, I, I'm, it's been a lot of years since I've ridden very much, but you just don't forget. Mm. I'm not quite as, quite as balanced as I used to be, but it's like a bicycle. You just kind of mm. learn it. Something goes on in your brain that enables you to do it. So. <laughs> You'll have your first book signing in just over a week, which is very exciting. Yeah. And I uh, assume you'll likely read from what's in your howl there. But I think our listeners would also like a taste of the storyline. So please read as much as you'd like. Okay, thanks. Thanks. Yeah, that, that signing is this next a week from Saturday, the 18th, at Barnes & Noble at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. So if anybody wants to come, we'd love to see you. But I'll start reading here. The... The, the narrator of the story is Alberto the Armadillo. So all these words are his, although he will talk by, uh, about, and for Carlos the Coyote as well. So the story begins this way. The first time I heard Carlos howl, it scared me. I didn't know what it meant. I rolled up in a ball and waited for it to be over. Armadillos do that sometimes. When I roll up, all my hard shell is on the outside where the wind and sand blows and where the rain and the snow come falling, but all my soft is safe on the inside. That howl also scared me because Carlos scared me. He's not like me. I'm not like him. Carlos has long, powerful legs and sharp teeth. He runs faster than a tumbleweed chased by the desert wind but he also has soft, warm fur. It has all the colors of the desert, some brown, some tan, some yellow, and some black. See, Carlos is a coyote. I have short legs and a shell. It's not smooth or soft. It's my own armor. That's why they call me an armadillo. My name is Alberto. My top speed is walking. Once I tried to run to keep up with Carlos, But I tipped forward and my snout dug a hole in the sand. I sneezed for several days after that. 
However, I do have long scratchy toenails that are very good for digging. But I haven't told you what I learned about Carlos Howell. His howl is hard to describe. It's beautiful, like the huge flower on top of the tall saguaro cactus, with its prickly arms reaching up to the sky. The outside of that flower has petals as white as puff clouds floating in a bright blue sky. And in the middle of that flower, right in the heart of that white, is a yellow center, a yellow so yellow it reminds you of the sun. But that flower sits on top of a prickly tree of cactus. Carlos Howell reminds me of all that. Hmm, nice. And that is flowery language, too. Uh, reaching to the sky in the, in the middle like the sun. And so the flower is spoken flowery. <laughs> flowery e. I don't know. <laughs> well, I appreciate that you included the setting there. Mm, yeah. The description is really good. Yeah, thank yes. you. Yeah. So tell us all how we can get your book. Uh, well, it's uh, it's published with through Zulon Press. They have their own website, and it's and so you could go through Zulon, but you can also go on Amazon or on uh, Barnes and Noble. And on the day of the signing, which I mentioned, I think is the 18th of March, at from one to four p.m., I'll be at the Barnes and Nobles in Boise, and the book will be for sale there too, and I can sign it for you. And like uh, like you said, Becky, I hope to be able to do a reading or two there during that time. So, yeah. is there contact info? Would it just be like through? Uh, I have an author's website on on Facebook under my name. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So you can look up some details there. And uh, but I don't have a website yet. This is all pretty new to me, so I'm working okay. on that. <laughs> so they would find you on Facebook as Doug Gamble. Uh, yeah, Doug Gamble. Right. Mm, correct. Okay. D o u g g a m b l e. Yeah. yeah. Pretty simple. Yeah. Well, before we go, is there anything else that you would like to say about the book? I, I'm just, uh, I'm very thankful to have been able to do it. And it's interesting because I'm sure that you guys have noticed this with things that you've written, but it's been striking to me that I wrote the story, I've enjoyed the story. You know, I crafted it as best I knew how. But now that I read it again, I see more in it than I knew I'd put in it. <laughs> Which I guess maybe is, I don't know, it's a, just a kind of a discovery process that happens when we sit down and write. Sometimes it happens when you're actually doing the, the putting of word to paper, but sometimes I think it happens later too. So it's mm -hmm. it's a it's kind of an interesting, mysterious thing that all has to do with language and uh, I think the power of what God has put in language. So yeah, yeah, pretty pretty amazing. I've had people tell me stuff that they saw in my books that I didn't write that, but you know yeah. that, that's no, what I think they got out I of think, it. And I think it's true, and and that that's. That's a beautiful thing, I think, you know. Yeah. I, I think there's it's a way that it opens up our minds in ways that I think are really healthy. So Yeah. And I think your characters are easy to connect with. Oh yeah. Which is really obviously the little boy, the three year old <laughs> connected. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, just the fact that um, kinda like with Aslan that you were talking about, um, people can relate through that character to real life. Yeah. There's something about, uh, I know some publishers don't like, I've, I've read about some publishers who just frankly won't take stories where animals talk. But I think if we look at the history of mankind, somehow that gets to us in a way, you think of Aesop's fables and some of those mm -hmm. things. Sometimes that, that gets to us in ways that we, 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 don't, we don't prejudge, uh, you know, a rabbit or a hare or a tortoise or a 
armadillo or a coyote like we do people. Oh, yeah. And so maybe maybe there's something that, that it, it can get closer to us more quickly because it's through animals. Anyway, I'm a, I'm a fan. So. <laughs> Interesting. But it has probably opened a whole new world to you, too. Oh, yeah. 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 I, well, and it's an intimidate. This whole publishing industry has, there's been, it's a PhD education necessary for all of it. And I'm just way behind, but I'm catching up. I'm learning, but I, I realize there's lots to learn. So, <laughs> Well, and it's changed so dramatically over the mm. years. And it seems to be, what's that word, exponentially just mm changing all the time yeah it is hard to keep up you kind of have to pick pick your lane <laughs> yeah no that's you know where you're going to go i think it. that's well said and then part of the part that's intimidating to me is so much of it is uh technologically enabled and i'm yes. a little bit technologically disabled so <laughs> so am i <laughs> do you have a sequel in mind, or you talked about other books. I am w- actively working on other books. It's not a sequel to this one, um, but something just two or three days ago jogged my mind that, that maybe I could turn this around a little bit and do one more of this kind of thing. So I don't know what's going to happen with that, but I am always working on stories. I can't not work on stories. Really. <laughs> I've got notebooks, so so many story ideas, and so and, and when I'm disciplined, I'll you know bring one to to a, a good conclusion and sometimes I submit them and I've submitted some to dozens and dozens of places but you know we all know they come back <laughs> oh, yes. but uh, but you got to keep at it and I'm just thankful to be able to get this one out in print and maybe that'll be something that enables me to go further with it in the future so that's great yeah well and then there's just that practice of yes. writing you know that hones our craft no doubt about it it's like better. anything else you can't you can't shoot a good round of golf if you only go out once a year. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So for our audience, you can get the book, What's in Your Howl, at Amazon or Barnes & Noble. And you can see Doug on Facebook, D-O-U-G-G-A-M-B-L-E, on Facebook. And also the uh, publisher website, can you give that to us again? It's Zulon Press with an X, X-U-L-O-N, X-U-L-O-N, Zulon Press. Oh, good. That's yeah. good, to, yeah. good to spell that for us. Yeah, yeah. Right. it's kind of a strange spelling, yeah. So. I would have spelled it Z-O-O with, uh, with the <laughs> yeah, right. here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, Doug, for being with us. Appreciate you coming. And it's a, it's a great book. It looks, uh, you know, the, the art and uh, everything combined, it's, it's just a... Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure to be with you. It's been fun talking. Thanks. Yes, very fun. And we thank our listeners for joining us. Remember, you too have a story. Be sure to live it to the fullest. Thank you for listening to Let Me Tell You a Story. Please email your comments, suggestions, and submissions to story at beckylyles.com. That's all for now. Tune in next time to enjoy a fresh assortment of stories on Let Me Tell You a Story.